Hello and welcome to Real Men Feel. This is your host, author, coach, and healer, Andy Grant. Thank you for joining us today as we discuss the abuse by women of men. Yes, you heard that right. We are talking about abusive women. My guest today is a very brave woman who is willing to acknowledge the abuse she inflicted upon her husband and the healing she went through to change that cycle of abuse. Emotional, verbal, and physical abuse does not care about gender. Humans hurt humans. If you find this conversation raises old traumas and wounds for you, please book a complimentary clarity call with me at theandygrant.com slash talk. And let's see how I might be of service. Visit theandygrant.com slash talk because you are worthy of forgiveness and happiness. My guest today is Andrea J. Lee. Andrea is an entrepreneur, coach, author, and advocate for a violence-free world. Abusive relationships are all too common. What isn't as common is a woman stepping forward to say, I'm the abuser. Andrea and I discuss how childhood experiences of abuse lead to more abuse if they are ignored. We explore the three most common impacts on men that I've seen from abusive relationships. Andrea shares a great communication tactic and opens up about the power of forgiveness. Let's do it. Hello, Andrea. Welcome to Real Men Feel. Hey, Andy. So good to be here. I'm really excited for this conversation. It's been a while in the making, and I really admire your willingness to talk about this difficult subject that we're going to talk about. I've had guests on in the past. I've had women that wrote books about the abuse of men. I've had men that have been in abusive relationships, but I have never had a woman stand up and say, I was actually an abuser. So I really am honored that you're willing to share and be open about that. So let's just jump in. How did you first become aware that you were abusive to your husband? It was a combination of him telling me, (laughs) first of all, and an accumulation of arguments that went beyond the normal kind of couple's arguments and realizing how hurt he was and how this was going on over time. There was a very clear moment in time where I felt it in my heart that you are hurting this person that you say that you love. And it was, I guess they call it like a dark night of the soul. You know, it was really like, it stopped me in my tracks. So one of the themes of the show is how silence kills men. So if your husband had kept his pain private, would it have gone on longer? Might you never know if he didn't say, hey, you're going too far. I don't like where this is headed. I think that it would have gone on longer. He finally speaking up absolutely saved time in our marriage, saved the time that he was losing in his life, being abused and obviously unable to be more of an agent in his life, to drive his dreams, make his dream life come true. So yes, he spoke up and really saved us by speaking up. And how difficult was it for you to hear that? Did he have to tell you more than once or did it was there finally a tipping point that you heard enough that like maybe there's something here? Yeah, exactly. He had to tell me many times. <laughs> 
it's not a pretty memory and I am not proud of it, but I am so grateful (laughs) that he found the courage to do that time and again, to say, listen, this is not okay. You are not behaving in an okay way. This is not okay to treat me this way. I am not here for this. This relationship is not okay with me. So in addition to to coaching men, I also lead groups at mensgroup.com. And I'm surprised guys that speak about this are surprised by how many men resonate, but how many men out there are in relationships where they are emotionally, verbally, and sometimes physically abused by their partner or spouse. And I find there are the three big ways that the men are really impacted by that. And I want to share that with you and see if they showed up in, in your experience. The first is that the guy really becomes a people pleaser, gets that nice guy syndrome, kind of live their lives walking on eggshells. That's the term I hear a lot about. A second way is that men see the abuse as love. And this is usually someone that grew up in some sort of abusive relationship. So they, they seek a partner that will verbally put them down, critique them, judge them so harshly. And because that's been confused with love. And third is they really lose their identity. Their self-worth is gone, especially for men. They, you know, they don't feel like a man anymore. They're less than a man because they're, you know, in an abusive relationship. They're not ending it. They're not leaving. They're not, you know, they're not taking control, whatever it might be that are, falls into that, that man box version of masculinity. So did any of those or something else, did you see that in your husband, you know, in the moment or in looking back? Yes, I saw all three. Hmm. And I think... It would be safe to say that all three things were somewhat present already, Andy, before we became a couple. So there was childhood history, you know, early dating history that in other realms, not just in relationships, say, for example, in career realms or finance realms, stuff like that, where he, to be clear, this is my perception. I'm not speaking for my husband he would need to say for himself. But what I observed was that, yeah, he had a lack of confidence in his identity, that some of the ways that he was used to being treated, it wasn't love, but it was a substitute for love maybe. Mm. And he's at, my husband's actually not just a nice, great guy. He's like an exceedingly sweet guy. (laughs) And so it's like, to all the men who are actually have the, these bigger hearts, like bigger than average hearts, like these hearts that feel, you know, he was actually going beyond the extra mile to be a good husband to me. And are you still together? Yeah. Cool. So as we go through this and show these pieces, I want to point that there's, when we're talking about the pain, that there is really hope at the end. And there's yes. hope for anyone in either end of an abusive situation. So were you abusive to others? Were you abusive at work? Were you, you know, were you a yeller and a screamer or a ranter or a raver, however that might have been for you? Or is it only at home? I would say 99% my anger and manipulation and rage and bad behavior was towards my husband. Occasionally I would have it in my family of origin, like yelling and raging with my dad, who was where I originally learned it from my dad and my mom. But other than that, no, not in a professional way or in public. So this was verbal and emotional abuse or also physical abuse was kind of in your household growing up? Right. And in my childhood household, there was physical abuse. You know, I'm the child of an immigrant. So spanking really wasn't a 
that was just normal, you know? But yeah, there was definitely physical abuse as well as the verbal and emotional abuse. So from your perspective, as you got in relationships and got married and continued that, there was just normal behavior. Yeah, I think of abuse, especially emotional abuse, is like contagious, just like a virus. You can catch it. And I actually can remember a moment when I write about this in an article that I wrote for the Washington Post. When my dad was about to hit my younger brother, who happens to be disabled and, you know, the whole thing, I stepped in between them and hit my dad instead. And Andy, I can, I promise you I'm not exaggerating when I say I could feel the power of that moment where I fought back and I could feel it like electricity come up my arms, like hitting him in the chest. And it's like I I caught that sense of power through this act of physical violence I had just committed. In that scenario, what I'm really feeling is a rush of almost like heroic violence. Like I'm standing up from, I'm helping the the downtrodden. Now this is my, it's almost like your righteous and glorious anger. Yep. So was it a gradual point, that rush, that, that control, that power came into use, not just protecting the weak? So... Between that moment, I was 18 at that time, and getting married, I got married at 25, and I had known my husband a couple of years before that. And the abuse, my emotional abuse of my husband really started after we were married. So to answer your question, my own personal assessment is that I was frustrated at what I felt were things that weren't going well in the marriage, in our marriage. Those might have been legit. They might not have, just like any young couple, right? Mm -hmm. But that in those moments of frustration, when my, I call it my pH level, like the acid level of that leads to like rage, you know, Mm -hmm. that my pH level of frustration got to this point where it tipped. And that's when that, I don't remember it exactly, but would have been the moment of the behavior of yelling, inappropriate angry yelling would have started. I'm quite sure that that's how it would have happened on the first occasion. Mentioning frustration, was there a particular trigger or things that your husband learned to avoid, or was it just anything that frustrated you to some certain level could cause you to to blow up? I think, again, he would have to answer. He would have the more objective answer, but as honestly as I can be, which I try to be, I don't think it would surprise you, Andy, or any of our listeners. It's like if I felt unloved, if I felt like I was abandoned or wasn't being taken care of, whether it be financially or, you know, him finding a job or whatever, those were my main triggers. So those all sound like they're kind of rooted in fears. So if anything kind of fearful would might trigger your frustration, is that does that make sense? That's right. I think it is fear. How I would put it is... It's a lack of safety that I felt from a very young age in my original family that was replicated or I replicated it psychologically because it was what I was used to in that state of being, of feeling not safe, led me to being very easy to anger. I'm not a big fan of mental illness labels and narcissism is kind of the, the, the phrase of the day that everyone kind of throws at each other. 
again, we're both laymen here. Yeah. If someone was a truly a narcissist, they would never see their abuse. If someone said, you're hurting me, they just, that's not something they could comprehend. Right. They would say, no, I'm not. You're hurting me. <laughs> yeah. So someone that is able to step back and see that they're hurting people they love. Yeah. Is it a, you know, a polarity level of narcissism or it, again, I'm just, why am I even stuck on that word? I'm just said I didn't like it. <laughs> but is, I guess the point yeah. is, can someone be abusive, can like that power, that rush, can mm -hmm. someone treat people that they think they love badly and it has nothing to do with a mental illness, right? Is it just poor coping skills? It's such a good question. I think you asked it so well. I'll put this aside, but I want to say it for the record. It does depend on what our definition of mental health is, right? Like if we're in a bad mood, is that not mental health? Like it's not a mental illness, but something's happening in our mental wellness. So, but to your question, can a person be just angry and not have a diagnosable mental illness? Yeah, I think so. I think you can be emotionally abusive and have anxiety or coping issues or, you know, you might have some things that psychologists would have something to say about or that you could go to a therapist very easily, which I did go to a lot of different ones. And it definitely helped. So I think mental wellness is in the equation. Mental illness, that's a case-by-case -case thing. I know at one point in the article you wrote for the Washington Post, there was at least at least one time when the police came to your, yeah. your home. Were you ever tempted to let them assume that you were the one being abused? I would say the answer is no. I wasn't tempted to let them assume that. However, they did assume that. And I wrote about it elsewhere. I think I wrote that about that on my blog. That's exactly what happened, Andy. The policeman looked at my husband, you know, suspicious look on their face, and then looked at me to say, are you sure you're okay? When it was actually me who had been slamming doors and yelling that had caused the neighbors to call the cops. And honestly, if I could add, that police person's gaze accusing my husband in that moment was a big contributor to my wake-up call because it was so wrong. Like, I could see through that person's eyes how wrong that was. Obviously, I was having trouble seeing it through my own eyes because of my own issues or I wouldn't have been behaving that way. But when that happened, I was like, that's wrong. He didn't do anything to cause this cop thing to happen. This was, that was me. In my most destructive relationship I was ever part of, I was living with a married woman who was at least 25 years older than me, and she was a manager at the place I worked and all sorts of just oh. bad reasons. But anyway, <laughs> I move in with her, and it's a secret. I'm not allowed to answer the phone. No one can know that I live with her. And it's bad. It, it's bad. And I called the police once before it got really bad, before something turned physical against me or me, rec like whatever it was. And yeah, the police showed up and escorted me out. And oh, no. I was just like, what? Amazed. And... You know, this is one of the things I hear from guys the most, just thinking that the whole system is against them. And, and unfortunately, I see so many guys, they're in, they're in one bad experience and they take the broad brush and decide all women are evil. They're all narcissists. They're all abusers. You can't trust anyone. And I know that you are out at the forefront sharing your story to help. Yeah. How can you help 
that? Like, what can help us take apart those extreme reactions and bring people to healing? Do do you have any insight on that? It's difficult, but what I have decided (laughs) that gives me hope and maybe will give other people hope is that every time a person does not have an angry outburst, every day where in a relationship there is not violence, one day, just one day, or even just one hour matters a lot. It can feel kind of lame, like in the face of so much systemic stuff. But think about if we were children again, young, like, you know, eight or nine, old enough to understand that something bad is happening. Every hour, every day where this child's parents did not have violence in that family home would be a good day. And that day could be the day that that kid remembers later in life that there were some good days. Each day matters. And so when I work with people, women mostly who are dealing with this, that's what we work on. It's like, how, what support do you need to stop doing this? What is it you're missing that is causing you to do this? What do you need to work through in order to own, take responsibility? This is you and you therefore get to stop. Let's go for one day and then let's go for another day. (laughs) No, I really get that. And it's really, to me, I I encourage myself and clients to celebrate those one days, those success stories, because it matters. I have a long history of, of depression, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts. And, you know, I came to realize that I was like addicted to my own bad chemistry. Right. And frustration rose. Like I didn't strike out. I was not an abuser. I was an abuser of myself. Right. And so, and like, oh, I haven't felt that gross in a, in a day, in a week. Oh, cool. And almost like, you know, you said it, it's kind of lame. But yeah, sometimes when you're struggling, you, you got to celebrate, you know, the lame things. And, you know, I lived like a normal person for a day. Yay for me. And, yeah. you know, if that's where we start, that's where we start. But I'm hearing in you, because what, what I find whenever someone is aware of something, like nothing can heal, nothing can change until you're there. So if you're aware that you've been an abuser, then somebody's like, I don't like this. I don't like what I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm willing to get help. I'm willing to change it. I, I mean, that's the bedrock that has to happen. hundred full percent. The remorse is everything. Yeah. So with you. Now, it takes courage where, I mean, society you know, praises and acknowledges the courage it takes for someone who's the victim of abuse to, to stand up, to get help, to, to ask, to leave a relationship. Is it a similar courage? Is it a different thing? What does it take to stand up and say, I've been an abuser? It is, I think, courageous. I tend not to go in that direction that much for me, because honestly, it's not praiseworthy to stop being bleephole to my husband. That's how it should be. But having said that, I do think that it is terrifying to initially confess this to yourself and then say it out loud in public. I think it's quite terrifying initially. I can only imagine. Yeah. And again, similar, when I would start talking about suicide attempts or talk about being molested as a child, people would say, oh, you're so brave, you're so brave. I'm like, no, just stop that. But, you know, I think it's uncovering our own authenticity. So it yes. finally feels like we're being real and well, that's not brave. I'm finally being me. I'm telling someone the truth and it can be very brave. Yeah. I almost objectively thinking about what you're sharing and what we're talking about. Maybe it's just 
it is brave, but it didn't require us to be brave. Like we owned ourselves, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like, I'm going to be brave today. It was yeah. like, I've got to change that. I've got to be willing to be better. I've got to change something. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I like the way you said that. So is it rare for women to be abusive or is it only rare that we hear about it? I think it's definitely rare that we hear about it. I think it would be very hard for me to say there's no data for the percentage of women who are abusive. And that's part of the problem. It's not being studied. And therefore, we don't know. If you're asking me to hazard a guess, you know, it's hard because it's a matter of degree, right? Like, can you raise your voice and it's okay and you haven't struck fear in your children? You know, is it okay to yell? What turns yelling into abuse? There are all those questions. But I would be willing to step out and say, just like more I say in my blog, is that I think more women are angry within their families in a way that is harmful, that they would agree is harmful, and that they wish they could stop. I think there are more women like that than anybody is talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to study something that people aren't willing to own, to take responsibility for. So, yeah, we can pretend that, oh, there are no studies because it doesn't exist. And you would just be perpetuating that lie, that yes. stigma about this all. Hmm. So what are some of the keys that helped you in break your own abuse cycle? The number one thing is that I was finally willing to be with the pain that I was causing him. I went back to school to study some of this because I really just felt the gap, you know, not enough attention is being paid. So I decided to invest in adding to that. And I think we don't value the power of pain to transform. And so it was only when I intensely felt cellular level, how extraordinarily painful my behavior was to my husband. And I could remember that consistently. That's what caused me to stop. That's what enabled me and empowered me to stop. So this program is called Real Men Feel. And there are a lot of assumptions that men don't feel and all women do feel. And so it sounds like you were not willing to feel your emotions. And so perhaps own frustration, anger, striking out, that was the only thing that was kind of allowed. Does that, does that resonate? Yeah, I think that... I was supposed to be obedient. I was supposed to be like quiet, you know, seen and not heard kind of serve tea kind of wife, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I think there was some of that repression that led to overcompensating the expression of my emotions. Mm -hmm. I think that was there too. Do you have any insight into how we prevent abuse to begin with? It doesn't take your husband saying, hey, this is too much. You're, I'm not, I can't take the way that you're treating me. Is there, th does that have to happen? Do we all have to hit our, the darkness of the soul? Do we have to have so much pain that we're willing to make a change or can something be done earlier? So I think on a societal level, and if you mean this question differently, just tell me, Andy, but I would answer this in a few ways. And the one that I'm drawn to answer today is we're in way too much of a rush. And that is, in my opinion, the number one cause of short fuses, way out of proportion expectations, excusing being inconsiderate to other people, 
causing stress and internal fear or shame because we're not keeping up with other people. Like we're in a huge rush for all of these things on a societal level. And so in relationships, whether it's parents with kids or couples with each other, it's like slow the bleep down, you know, like just the other day I was working with a client and they were like, oh, I booked my children to do this camp and this camp. And that only leaves me this much time to do this errand. And therefore I was furious all day. Well, don't book all that. (laughs) Slow the bleep down, you know? There's so much immediacy of information and experience that we insist that our brains and our neurology should be at that same speed of light for feeling and processing and properly reacting, proactively reacting, not being reactive. Right. Yeah, it's our unconscious that can be timeless and instantaneous, and that's not how we run our best. Oh, I love that spiritual connection. That's really nice. So for people who are like, but Andrea, I don't want to slow down. It's like, all right, be timeless and go with the speed of light on a spiritual level or an energetic level. Yeah. So much emotional abuse and anger and temper and stuff like that would be prevented in families and in relationships if we would just slow the bleep down. So is there anything besides slowing down for someone that is recognizing that they have been an abuser? What's the best solution for them? I mean, I would say go all in. As soon as you recognize it, decide that you want it to change This isn't a, it's going to go away gradually over time. If you ignore it, it's not going to go away. It's just going to keep getting worse. So what does that mean? For each person, it's different, but there are books. There are not many, but there are some books about being an abuser. There, find a therapist who knows how to handle this. Join a group. There are groups for abusive individuals that are not just for batterers. There are a lot of batterers programs, but for emotionally abusive people. Go all in. This is a project. If you will attend to this project, it's like purchasing a home and saying, I'm going to fix the foundation first. Why bother fixing anything else if you know that foundation is just going to crack the house in half anyway? Stop. deal, Deal with this first. Do you find that in your own healing and growth, did your marriage improve and nothing else? Or did lots of aspects of life change for you? Everything changed. Everything changed for the better. Does anything stand out as a technique or a practice or a habit that you had to cultivate that allowed you to experience all of your life getting better? So specifically, there's one that I really love. And maybe because it's you, Andy, in this show, I'll be a slightly cliche and use a sports analogy. This helped me a lot along the way, and I I still use it. It's a technique of moving from facing off with the person you're in relationship with. So like in hockey, like I'm Canadian, so I'll say with hockey, you have the two people in the middle facing off at the beginning of the game. And that posture is unconsciously what I think we bring into our relationships. We face off with them. And when we have that posture, we treat them like we're trying to win against them. We're going against each other. Everything, we're, all of our effort is going opposite. So when I would notice it, I would 
consciously create ways to sit beside my husband. So rather than sit across, we'd sit at a corner. I would consciously increase the times when I was standing shoulder to shoulder. So like doing dishes, shoulder to shoulder together, facing the world together. Going on drives is a really good technique to forge this sense of we're on the same side, facing forward together. And what I would do is I would draw it. Instead of having a circle that was my husband, a circle that was me, and we're facing off, I would draw two circles side by side, and then I'd draw a bigger circle around it. And I know it sounds weird, but this is about rewiring right? You said neurology before. What we need is to warm up those brain cells that used to behave in that old way and teach those brain cells to fire in a different direction and then do it again, fire it again in that new, different, healthy direction, right? You know that whole brain cells that wire together, fire fire together, wire together. So that's the technique that comes to mind. Yeah, and that's why I commented earlier about gonna celebrate things and that, oh, I, I find a new neuron. I've got a new pathway. Yay. Yeah. You know, and the energy work I do with clients, we guide through processes and we really I, I pour down light and fill in the oldest ruts in the brain so <laughs> that new ways can be re- made easier because the whole cliche of, oh, I fell in a rut. Like my life's in a rut. Yeah, those ruts are in your brain. It's the the most thought sure. pattern is the easiest one to fall into. Right. And it can take effort. Time and time again, not because it doesn't work, but because it does work. Like you pick yourself up, oh, then you fall back in. But like, oh, no, it didn't work. Like, no, it worked. That moment of like, oh, I feel normal. I feel lame. Like, that's the, that's the point. And, you know, that's why I can, I've heard every from 21 days to 30 days to 40 days for a habit. But, you know, you keep doing that work to choose new thought, choose new pathway, react a different way. And eventually that becomes your new default. You, I love your work so much. Yeah. <laughs> And you hit on something in studies of men, they have shown that if you want to communicate with the men in your life, be side to side. Oh, really? Face to face. Yes. Yeah. You want to talk to men, you drive, you do something, you do an activity. That whole notion of facing off. Wow. So many people are triggered. It's your dad. You're yelling at you. They're right in your face. You better listen to me. Or the principal. Like when you're in trouble, someone is in your face. So if you're in a relationship and you want to break through the resistance side by side, as you discovered. Wow. Andy, I mean... I'm going to have to follow up with you on this study thing because I had no idea. I just, wow. Yeah. Most men communicate much better, much more openly in a side-by-side situation <gasps> than face-to-face. Incredible. I love that. That it, I mean, I've definitely noticed it, but, well, let's just say, like, it's easier to feel. Like, you're shoulder-to-shoulder. You might have tears run down your face. You can, you know, whatever, and then still be in that container of conversation versus, like, yeah. staring at each other. <laughs> right. Yeah. And especially for men, if they're, you know, not used to being allowing their emotions to flow, with someone on their side, it doesn't feel as judgmental. But, yeah, if someone's looking at you like, oh, now I see a tear. Oh, now I see you getting red. Oh, obviously, what's going on here? You know, we we imagine all these more judgments happening mm-hmm. that beyond what might actually be happening. But side by side, realize, oh, I'm just driving. That's all I'm doing. I, oh, we happen to have, be having this, you know, heavy conversation perhaps at the same time. You know, it distracts that part, that logical part of the brain. You, you give that something to do so that they can drop down into their hearts and really wow. have that connection. I love that. Ah, oh, so good. Huh. 
I first began knowing who you were and seeing what you're up to as a business coach. And now you've gotten much more involved in that how to be human and how to stop abuse. So do you want to tell me a bit about those missions for yourself? Sure. I've been a business coach for a long time, about 20 years now. And I love it. Having said that, there are a lot of business coaches out there. And I like to try and be of service in a unique way. Like everybody's unique, right? Your work is so powerful in its uniqueness. So lately, where I've really gone is focusing on the power of emotion to fuel change, action, transformation. So when you said earlier about rewiring our brain cells, one way that I personally know is that in order to start that process, we need to feel those emotions, like the intensity of the emotion is actually the power, like a motor that drives the new neurons firing. (laughs) So I love to work with people who are ready to harness their emotions to create their lives, businesses, relationships, careers, social projects. Yeah. Cool. I say time and time again, you know, emotions are energy in motion. Right. And so many of us in society, we get stuck, we get into trouble, we get into abuse, we get into addiction when we try to stop the emotions, decide that's this is not the time to feel that, I'm not supposed to feel that, this isn't for me, that emotion's for men, that emotion's for women, whatever, we stop the flow of energy through our being. And it messes us up. <laughs> it bleeps us up. Like, if emotions are like a waterfall or like a raging river, like, or even like a calm river, it doesn't even need to be a raging river. (laughs) And we block that. It creates destruction. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Every emotion will be felt. And if we keep denying and stuffing it, it'll come out distortions. It'll come out sideways. It'll come out as abuse to the people that you say that you love or abuse to yourself. If suicidal, depressive actions. Right. What I find in common for people who abuse others and people that put themselves and stay in situations where they think they're worthy of that, they deserve it. Yeah. Forgiveness is a huge piece on either end. Did you Mm -hmm. find you needed to work on forgiveness of yourself? Yes, a lot. I had a turning point when I realized that it was unreasonable for me to expect my husband to forgive me if I hadn't forgiven myself. And in order to forgive myself, I had to actually trust myself that I had changed. I couldn't forgive myself until I really was sure that I was changed. And that required self-trust. And it was beautiful because now that I reflect on it, of course, you that's codependent, you know, of me to be like, will you please forgive me? Please say it. It's me, 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 you know, like putting responsibility on him to give me absolution. And now I'm okay. Yay. Gave away my control again, you know? So, when I realized that, I really gave myself the assignment to question, okay, well, are you trustworthy? Like you're saying you are trustworthy. Your behavior has changed. Good job. Are you trustworthy? And over time, through lots of different things where it's like, oh, it's very possible to blow up right here. But guess what? You're not. This is what you're doing in order to not. I'm trustworthy. Became something I could say to myself. And then there was definitely grief work. But yeah, I was able to let it go. I still have a giant mountain of, gosh, I wish that we hadn't had to pay in that way that my husband didn't have to pay with his life the way that he did and pay with the time in his life where he was in this relationship. 
But yeah, I have forgiven myself. I hope that I can use that emotion now, that relief, that gratitude at second, third, fourth, fifth, fiftieth chances to like be a blessing in someone else's life, you know? One thing I know for sure in this moment is that you were a blessing in many lives. I just ah. feel that radiating from you. And no, legit. And I'm so glad that I'm getting to meet you in your joyous <laughs> period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this, this is such a, a deep and undiscussed topic. Love to have you come back and go deeper because mm. I really, I swear to God, I so admire and feel your willingness to lay yourself out there in service to others. And that's yeah. what this show is so much about. So, so Andrea, what's the best way for people to learn more about you, uh, discover your work, your books, everything you're up to? Yeah, thanks. I have a website. It's andreajlee.com. And that's where you can find everything to do with my projects. I have some books and writing. If you're interested in coaching, we could certainly love to explore that. But my social media accounts are all there as well. So that's probably the easiest way to stay in touch. I really welcome people to reach out. There's no, you know, big thing that I'm in, you know, campaigning for over here other than to support people who are hoping to make this change. So reach out if I can be of service. Awesome. Yeah. If you're ready to dig deeper into yourself, you know, I find nothing can be done if we're not willing to face our traumas, heal our wounds and change our energy. And that comes from feeling those emotions, from feeling everything you've pent up, for feeling uh, everything you've called yourself. Because I, you know, I find most abusive people, they've been abusive to themselves first. When I can recognize I'm abused to people, I'm treating them as harshly as I've ever treated myself in my worst times. So there's some sort of link there, I find. But I find coaching is one of the most powerful forces in the world. For me, far better than, than medication for traditional therapy, for talk therapy. Yeah. Everything is rooted in energy. Get to the core. Change your life. So, yeah, yeah. reach out to Andrea. Reach out to me. I offer a free complimentary clarity call to see if I'm a fit. Because, yeah, I'm weird. I do some wacky stuff. <laughs> but it'll change your freaking it. life, man. <laughs> so you can visit me at theandygrant.com slash talk. Again, that's the, T-H-E, Andy Grant, me, slash talk, and talk we shall. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for listening in today. Wherever you're discovering real men feel, please share it, give a comment, give a like. Let more people know. Let more human beings know that they're allowed to feel, and that the more you do feel your emotions, the better life gets. Until next time, be good to yourself. <laughs> <laughs>